There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with Jungian analyst and astrologer Christina Becker, Christina lives and works in Toronto, Canada, and offers private psychotherapy and astrology readings, as well as online courses in Jungian psychology and astrology. As a student of Jungian psychology who lives with a professional astrologer, I was interested in how these two paths intersect and complement each other, particularly how astrology can help someone navigate their medicine path toward healing and wholeness, and enjoy a more purposeful and meaningful life. Well, I wasn't disappointed. Christina has really integrated her years of study and practice into a down-to-earth, relatable approach that helped clarify some key astrological concepts that even I could understand. So if you're interested in how to better orient yourself to your own unique purpose and work with the challenges and obstacles you're facing, then I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. I know that I did. But before we get to that, I just want to take a moment to thank my loyal patrons who are supporting this podcast. If you'd like to offer a monthly contribution, subscriptions start at just $3 a month and gets you access to early release of podcast episodes and bonus content. Supporters at higher levels get yoga practice resources, stickers, and an exclusive t-shirt. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. Now, I know times are tough for a lot of people out there, so in order to make it easier for you to make a contribution without committing to a monthly subscription, I'm now offering one-off donations at coffee.com forward slash Brian James. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash Brian James, B-R-I-A-N-J-A-M-E-S. And as always, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast episode with your friends. 
You can also follow me on Instagram at Revealing the Soul, where I post a lot of inspiring content related to depth psychology, mythology, shamanism, poetry, as well as the occasional doggy photo. Okay, that's all for now. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Jungian analyst and astrologer Christina Becker on The Medicine Path. Today, I'm speaking with Jungian analyst and astrologer, Christina Becker, who lives and practices in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, my old stomping grounds. And she also works as a nonprofit consultant, training um, heads of nonprofits. Is that what you would say? Uh, well, board, board members. Okay. Volunt- volunteers, board members and volunteers. Yeah. All right. So you're a busy woman and you've also authored a book too, which mm. was part of your Jungian training dissertation, right? Yep. That's correct. Yep. Great. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. We're going to enter into a territory that I'm somewhat familiar with living with an astrologer. <laughs> uh, so I've picked up maybe just enough to get things wrong. Oh, so. <laughs> If at any point um, I'm asking a question and I'm talking about something in an incorrect way, just please feel free to correct yeah, me. No worries. I, I'm really here to learn. Hmm. And uh, I'm really curious, uh, living with an astrologer, I hear uh, the kind of things that Debbie's clients bring to her. You know, she'll often share with me what's coming up for people mm. more frequently, what kind of things mm. that they're looking for answers to. And over the years, I've always been thinking, well, if they could incorporate something of Jungian psychology, I think it would really add to that astrological consultation because there seem to be, to me, a lot of correlates and that astrology would really complement Jungian psychology and the path mm-hmm. of individuation uh, and, and maybe vice versa too, that astrology could be a really good lens to take a, a big picture look at your life on this mm. journey to wholeness. So... I found you and uh, I really liked the different things that you put together. Mm. And I also like that you're a Canadian too. I don't uh, speak to too many Canadians. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Really excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Mm. And also mm. a little 
just a little trepidation because, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about astrology and I'll probably mm. get some things wrong, but uh, uh, I'm hoping you can make it a little more clear for me and people listening who have an interest in astrology mm-hmm. and uh, maybe uh, an interest in Jungian psychology too. So the first thing that I'm really curious about for mm. you, what came first, Jung or astrology? Great question. Jung came first. Uh, So I received like my first book. um, I think I was like 20 or 21. It was Boundaries of the Soul by June Singer. And um, I got that and for, as a Christmas present and I started to read it. And it was one of those things where I, you know, drank the Kool-Aid and I never looked back. It was mm. so interesting. I just couldn't couldn't get enough. And as you know, there there has been a very active Jungian foundation and public program in Toronto. And so I started to do that. Uh so, you know, was reading, listening, you know, things like that. And then um, at midlife, when I was doing nonprofit consulting, I, I was kind of, I hit, I hit this kind of existential angst, which is, is this all there is? And, you know, is this how I want to be spending the rest of my life and all of that? And that kind of got me curious about going into training to be a Jungian analyst. So what what is interesting is there is a correlation between my interest in astrology and my application to Zurich. And I was going through a Pluto transit at the time, and it was 1995, and I didn't know that until I had my first astrological reading. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my God, there is an exp- there's a reason for why I'm having this experience. And that just, like, led me right down into I needed to learn as much as I possibly could about about astrology because it was providing some very strong answers for what was going on for me and how to frame the energies that was actually that was actually happening so I you know I I wasn't planning to become an astrologer it was just providing some answers for me but when I got into Zurich at some point I found that there were a number of analysts who actually were also really interested in astrology Eleanor Bartz and Freya Bleibler, both have passed now. But uh, I thought, wow. And then that was where the two things started to really, you know, in, engage with with each other. And then at that point, and then the deeper I got, I found Jung. And I found out that Jung was very interested in astrology. And, and at that point, there was kind of no turning back. Mm. Um, um, and then, of course, and then at that point, when I was in Zurich, uh, Liz Green, of course, who is the most famous, I think, Jungian analyst, professional astrologer, happened to be living in Kusnacht at the time. Mm. I, my guess is that she was doing the research for her book, Jung in astrology, but she was living like 
you know, two kilometers from the Institute. And when I found that out, um, I had a couple of readings with her and, and she also was providing uh, lectures and all day workshops in, in Zurich. And so I, you know, I just, it was just went and, you know, kind of ate it all up, you know, this mm. correlation between what was going on in the stars and, and people's lives. And so, okay. Yeah. So a couple of things come up for mm. me and mm. that, that I'm curious about. Mm. Uh, the first thing I guess is the midlife crisis. Mm. What I've been finding out is that this visits people at actually different times in their life, like different ages. So it's not yep. always you hit 35 or 40 <laughs> and you're going to get your midlife crisis. Right. Some people, what I've been finding is it seems to be happening earlier or, or later than that. Mm -hmm. So for you, were you on that classic schedule? When did that visit you in your life? I actually was on that classic schedule. I was uh, 36, 36, 37. I went to Zurich when I was 38. Hmm. So, and that, that it coincided with the Pluto square Pluto. Like well, that was my question. Yeah. So if you could explain that a little bit. So the Pluto transit, is mm. that something that visits everyone at a certain time in their life? Uh, yep. What does that mean? Well, the Pluto square Pluto is the first in the, in the, in the three midlife, the traditional middle passage transits. And what what my experience is is that the Pluto square Pluto tends to bring up a kind of a crisis of some kind. So whenever Pluto by transit is active, what it does is it creates a very slow evolutionary transformation of the personality. You could almost you could almost think of it as a dark night of the soul in the sense that one starts to question, you know, the meaning of life, starts to question you know what what are what are they doing? Like for me for sure that was that was absolutely true. And I, you know, it's very interesting because when people call to, you know, start a Jungian analysis. And even before I know who they are or what their issue is, just because they're describing a certain series of events in their life, I went, oh yeah, okay, that's a Pluto transit. Because it, it tends to materialize as an event, some kind of an event that pr pr promotes a, a, a credible crises in one's life um you know a husband is having an affair there's uh there's an existential crisis of meaning or uh, a loss of a parent or a loss of a job or or something that actually has the person really rethink the what they're doing with their life and reorienting themselves towards death basically because that's when we move from the first half of life into the second half of life 
that's really what we're doing. We're we're kind of going, okay, we know that life is now finite. It is it will end at a uh, at a particular time. So then what am I going to do with it that actually makes it meaningful? So that Pluto square Pluto is that first the first transit. And then there's Neptune square Neptune and then there's the Uranus Uranus opposition. So what what's interesting is that, you know, the Pluto square Pluto for me initiated a kind of a crisis related to my marriage, led me to going to Zurich. And then my entire training in Zurich was all that middle passage kind of thing. And when I came back was the Uranus Uranus opposition. And, um, and the Saturn, the Saturn, Saturn opposition at at I at forty five actually was the for me was the uh, you know my graduation basically doing my thesis so so those those that when and even James Hollis talks about this in the Middle Passage where it is a, a five six seven year you know big transition from one from uh, first half of life to second half of life. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I have a couple questions yeah. related to that. The first one is the, so a, as a lay person, I think most of us are aware of the Saturn return, mm-hmm. right? As another marker in our life's development, right? Mm-hmm. Not so familiar with the Pluto transit. So is the Pluto transit... Does that show up at uh, the same age for everyone, or does it show up at different times? Well, it's there's a range of um, three, four, five, six years. Like I've seen it as late as 38, 39, and as early as 33, 34. It depends on the orbit because Pluto's orbit isn't uh, it isn't circular. It it has a it has a particular um, so, so what that means is that it doesn't stay in each sign for the same length of time. Uh, so my Pluto is in Virgo. Um, so Pluto and Virgo uh, squares are um, uh, happens, you know, 36, 37, 38, where Pluto in Libra, let's say, uh, would was was actually is a little earlier, so it's thirty four, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah. Okay, that's going to be really interesting for me to look at too, because my uh, midlife crisis, which I now like to think mm. of as my midlife initiation. Yeah, sure. But at the time, it certainly felt like a crisis. Yeah. And it was all those things you named, like what am I doing with my life? Uh, this thing I thought was going to be my path in life has turned out to feel quite. Uh, devoid of meaning. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's financial success, but man, I'm really unsatisfied yeah. and yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm stressed out and I'm having all this anxiety. Like, So the crisis manifested as increasing anxiety, turning into panic attacks, night mm. sweats, insomnia. Like it was clear that something was going on and mm. the symptoms got bad enough that I just had to start paying attention at some point. <laughs> so yeah, totally. They did their job and kind of waking me up, right? Yeah, literally, literally every night, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, 
you know, kind of like heeding that and going, okay, what's going on under the surface mm-hmm. led me to start working with um, a Jungian influence therapist uh, and getting into dream work. And mm-hmm. then I started working with shamanism, plant medicine and all mm-hmm. of that. And it's not like once I started answering that call for transformation that everything just got better. It, in fact, life got harder in a lot of ways. Uh, yep. You know, like it hasn't been necessarily easy, especially Mm. on the material level. Mm. Uh, But the payoff is that my soul feels way more fulfilled and and in the flow of life and and all of that. Well, I often say to my clients, um, the soul really does not give a good hoot about you paying your rent, paying your mortgage or getting food on your table. (laughs) It doesn't, it just does not care. (laughs) I love that. The soul does not give a hoot about your rent. (laughs) All those practical things in life. All those practical things. It really doesn't, which makes it a real, it, it makes it a very, it's, it's challenging, you know, to, to listen to that deep inner voice and um, because it could take you in a direction that um, is not, is going to be challenging, is going to be materially uh, really difficult. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I was just mm-hmm. talking with a client this morning before we got on this call and um kind of relating that same thing to her that Mm -hmm. when we really start listening to our soul or listening to our diamond, it asks us to take risks. Yeah. You know, whether that's a financial risk or a a risk to our like reputation, Mm -hmm. you know, when we really put ourselves out there authentically, we open ourselves up to, you know, a lot of like criticism, which is going to hurt more because it's really about us because I'm really putting myself out there for (laughs) once. I'm not hiding behind a persona. Yeah, exactly. And the most, and sometimes the most vulnerable part of us too, which is the authentic, you know, the authentic self is, is, can be really vulnerable. Yeah. The part that we learn to protect really early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, I'm sure it wasn't easy for you to listen to that call and go all the way to Zurich. I mean, Mm. how, what did you have to give up in order to do that? And how long does that training take? Um, well, you know, it was actually, um, yeah, I have written about this. I, I did, I, I gave up a lot. And, and there is this idea of the sacredness of sacrifice in which, uh, you know, we, 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 hopefully consciously sacrifice, you know, something immediate for a larger, a larger goal. However, I, if I had gone into it, knowing that I was going to give up so much, I, I might, I probably, I, I may not have done it, but I, I was kind of like where angels fear to tread, <laughs> you know, it was like, Oh, I'm going to go to Zurich. Oh, great. Um, I, um, you know, when I came back, uh, when I, I came back in 2002, 
Okay, I so just, just to pause, you were there. So how long did it take? Oh, it took to about training? five and a half to six years. So and were you living in Zurich the whole time? I came when with the first half of the program, I came back uh, in between semesters. And then for the second half of the program, when we were working, when I was working with clients, I actually, I lived there and came back for holidays and Christmas and stuff like that, mainly to see my parents and um, to have a little bit of a break, yeah. um, sometimes to earn some money, depending on, I, you know, I was fortunate I was able to earn some money there doing consulting work and things like that. But mm. um, so so when I came back uh, in 2002, I had um, I had lost my marriage, you know, financially, I had nothing i had a piece of land that i then sold like this uh, in the woods which i sold and uh yeah i mean talk about being stripped of of and it was a real rebuilding of my life when i came back and so at at you know at 45 or so whenever i think it was 45 when i came back and um uh, and fortunately, I have been able to rebuild, uh, you know, a significant portion of that. But, you know, that there was a real, that was a real initiation. And um, lots of people have given up a lot uh, to do this work. So, I mean, it's kind of, I think we do get called in in in, in a way. It's a, it's very similar to a, I wouldn't say religious, but there is there is a lot of there's a lot of similarity in the training to be an analyst, like you would, like a priest or a nun would be trained, like in in this kind of formation of what it means to be an analyst, and so including doing, although they don't, the nuns and the priests don't do this kind of personal work, but, you know, including really doing a fairly in-depth and extensive personal analysis, Mm -hmm. uh, which of course then brings up all sorts of stuff and brings up the truth of, of so many things in one's life that doesn't work. Mm. You know, this is a interesting opportunity mm-hmm. for me and maybe the people listening to get a little insider view of what it's actually like to to go through that analyst training. Mm-hmm. So, so I know that personal analysis is always mm-hmm. a part of that. That's kind of foundational to yep. becoming a Jungian analyst yourself mm-hmm. is you got to mm-hmm. go through analysis. But uh, how often are you going into analysis? Is it once a week, every day? Are you, and then what does the educational part of it look like? Mm. Well, uh, now a lot has changed in the training since I did it. Uh, there is, um, and also because of the political things that were going on at the C.G. Jung Institute in uh, just outside, in Kusnacht, just outside of, uh, of Zurich, uh, the the core, the way that Jung had imagined the training was the core of the program was the personal analysis. 
And so while we had to get at least 300 hours, which actually is a pretty, it's a lot of, um, that's a lot of analysis. Um, and that usually involved twice a week, at least for most of the students, it involved twice a week while during semester. And sometimes if we were over there, if we were there over some, you know, in between semesters, it would it would include that. The idea is, is that the more you're in analysis, the heat is up. Mm-hmm. And the more the heat is up, then the more, you know, material is coming up to be worked on. Jung, Jung talked about this idea of a, a kind of assisted individuation and an unassisted individuation. I mean, we all go through individuation. I mean, it's just kind of hardwired into our being. But analysis does give, is an assisted. So by talking about dreams and what's going on in life and etc., then we enhance, we further our individuation. Can, can we pause yeah. there for a moment? Mm-hmm. People listening might not be familiar mm. with the term individuation. Mm. And just to hear the word may give you a wrong sense of what Jung meant by that. So mm-hmm. could, you, could you help us uh, understand individuation as Jung thought Yeah, of it? for sure. It is this journey towards wholeness through the, uh, through the active r- relationship and working with the unconscious as we integrate more of the unconscious material um, we become more comprehensive we we become more ourselves we become more authentic in terms of who we are and so this individuation process is really about becoming more of ourselves, integrating the shadow, you know, uh, becoming more creative or whatever it happens to be. So it is, you know, Jung defined it as a journey towards wholeness, but it is basically a, a daily practice of working with the unconscious, integrating it and becoming more of who you are. Mm. And so, um, when you're in analysis, it's like turning up the heat on this alchemical process that's, yep. that's happening anyway. This is mm. part of nature. Uh, we're evolving to become who we're meant to be, mm-hmm. right? So it's always happening whether we are engaged in it or not. Right. But analysis is this con- conscious decision to turn up the heat, bring up more material to be processed and integrated. Yeah. Um, are there so the unassisted? Is that just someone who's not in analysis, but uh, is doing the work on their own? Or is it when it's just an unconscious process that's always happening? Um, You know, there's a range, I would say, you know, I think I think people who do who do work on their own. the, the, The idea is, you know, even if you don't do in-depth work on your dream, but actually acknowledge the dream and go and engage with it, some kind of dialogue, some kind of interaction, some kind of recognition happens between conscious and the unconscious. Those people like who might be unassisted individuation who just have this knowing, 
you know, to, to do this thing, whatever the thing is, right. They just said, I have to do this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it really calls to me. And so they do it right. That, that would be a very natural expression of, of bringing to life something that the soul wants to create in the world or be in the world or manifest in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Cause I was, just thinking about this, um, Debbie and I were watching this documentary about the um, creation of funk music and mm. the evolution of it through people like James Brown and George Clinton. And watching this, I was so struck by, okay, for instance, someone like James Brown. It seems like he was always listening to that inner drive because Mm. he took incredible risks in his life. He came from, you know, really hard situation um, at, you know, a time where racism in America was just oppressive. And here is this young kid who had something in him, pushing him to do this thing in life that was so outside of the norm and to, I don't know, just keep evolving, keep growing, keep pushing things. I was so struck by that. And, you know, he had no concept of individuation or the unconscious or psychology, probably never even thought about like his life's purpose or anything. He just kind of did it. Yeah. So what is it about some people where it's just, um, they just naturally have the courage to listen and follow that. Oh, it's such a good question. I wish I had the answer to that. You know, it it's a, it's a, it's a huge mystery to me that, um, you know, why there are some people who, who naturally like, like, as you said, James Brown, I mean, it's a perfect, perfect example or, or somebody who says, you know, I need to be a cabinet maker or I need to, you know, be a yoga teacher, or I need to study shamanism, you know, it's just that kind of, or me, I needed to be an astrologer. Yeah, right. Well, interesting, right? Because Mm. the the seeds of the, the yoga and the shamanism, everything Mm. that I've kind of ended up in in my life they were really early on now when mm-hmm. I look back I go okay well I was having like these crazy shamanic dreams and mm-hmm. like uh, I was lucid dreaming when I was a little kid and so I was always wow. playing with that but um it wasn't until my midlife crisis where I went back to that and found my way to healing and transformation through those things which were there a long time ago but I think um for me it just felt like I didn't have the confidence to fully get into that stuff earlier on. I had to kind of go through a more conventional path of getting a career and finding success in that and everything. And then having that kind of fall apart, Mm. I go back to the stuff that I was interested in in the first place. Yeah, totally. Well, and I like, I've worked with um, some people who have, you know, almost in like a Chiron wounding, you know, Chiron, the wounded healer, who's also an astrological Chiron, who've had a, um, you know, a particular, like I'm thinking about one experience where one person who had a learning disability early on in his life and, 
and, you know, went through all of those things related to, oh, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't learn, whatever. And as soon as he realized that he actually had a learning disability and went through that healing journey, part of his way of transforming that was also to work with other young adolescent boys who also had a learning disability and to help them understand what it's about because there was just an incredible amount of anger and rage and violence and stuff like that, that, that came as a result of, of the fact that, you know, it, it created this incredible negative inner narrative about his own capability. And it was just, he had a learning disability. Yeah. And so this idea of, of, you know, uh, you know, those kinds of either woundings or interests or whatever. I mean, Hillman talks very much about this, right? And that that then become, there's an opportunity for those things to flourish later on if you hear the call and if you pick it up. Yeah, well, it's so true. I mean, looking mm-hmm. at my life, all the stuff I had to go through as I wrestled with, you know, my life's purpose and everything ended up being kind of the medicine I bring into the work I do now. So, you know, life was looking out for me. Um, I was like, God, why can't things just go easier for me? Or why'd I have to be born into this life and you know all that but that's that ends up being my own unique medicine yeah Um, so yeah but I guess uh you know I wonder is there something in can you see something in the astrological chart that would forecast this like you know if you looked at James Brown's chart you think it would be really clear like oh okay well he's not going to have any blocks to following his his dharma his life's path it's just going to be there for him from the get-go um uh you can't do that without without actually having a conversation with somebody so um you know what richard tarnas talks about and i think this is really really important is that astrology is not concretely predictive it's archetypally predictive and so while the themes and the chart the challenges the ease that kind of stuff Um, can be shown it is in the conversation with the person that actually reveals how that's going to work so let's say um and maybe you know it's interesting i don't know much about james brown's life but maybe in fact uh what his biggest challenge may have been personally you know it may have been another area of his life right that may have been because and this is actually a, good, a really interesting point because you know our personal challenges the our edges those places where we have to grow and our purpose is not necessarily in what we do for a living and what we do to get money it might be uh have to do with relationships or parenting or taking care of an elder or, you know, maybe being a, a, a mentor of some kind or, or something that doesn't necessarily involve or being a volunteer, let's say, doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're going to make a lot of money out of it, but it's still a calling. You still mm. like writing, for instance, like so many people are 
are writers and they write and yet, or they're poets and that's their calling, that's their vocation. And then they work for the government to, mm -hmm. so that they can do that. Right. And they're very clear that the, the money that they get from their day job helps them fulfill this. So, so it's not necessarily just about what we do for a living, which is our vocation or our dharmas, so to speak. Um, you know. So there are a couple of things that you look like I can see that I want to actually explore. Like if you've got a, a, a fairly, if you've got a, if somebody has like an outer planet in a very conflictual relationship with one of the personal planets, the astrological sun or the astrological moon, then I know there's going to be, there's probably going to be parental issues because the astrological son as, uh, is an indication of the father, the archetypal father and the experience of the father where the moon is also the experience of the mother. And so, you know, if there's like a Saturn or, you know, whatever, a Uranian moon or whatever, um, that's going to probably indicate that the person has some really some big challenges related to personal parents. And then they then the the transformation of that has to be to disentangle the archetypal projections, because we all project archetype onto our parents when we're little, because that's because that we need to do that for survival mm -hmm. is to disentangle that, be, bring awareness to that. So it doesn't get, let's say for the sun per se, doesn't get projected on any authority figure that happens to be, or any older man, let's say that happens to be, you know, um, get getting the projection. Right. So let me um, take this out of the abstract. Mm -hmm if I can, and, and yeah. try, try this out and tell me if I got it right. Mm. So if I've got this uh, Saturnian relationship with my son, so with my my uh, father, my archetypal mm -hmm. father, uh, that may show up in my life as a father who's kind of like oppressive or very yep. demanding. Tyrannical. Tyrannical yep. father. And so the danger is if I don't do the inner work around that and become conscious of that's what's going on on the archetypal level, then I may have always have a problem with uh, male authority figures, older yeah. males in my life. I may always have this reaction that they're they're all oppressive, that they're all, you know, it's the patriarchy and all this, right? Right. So what's the what's the next step? Is if, as long like if I realize that's going on, how do I do that disentangling? Well, you do that by bringing uh, consciousness to it. And and if it let, let's say we will say uh, that particular let's say your Saturnian father square to Saturn or conjunction or whatever it happens to be astrologically we can say you've got a an, a, a Saturnian father complex and then it becomes a complex you know in the Jungian sense of a an emotion or a feeling tone experience related to a particular dynamic in your life that goes unconscious and then just kind of repeats itself autonomously through your life until you've brought that to awareness. Um, 
ideally what what you want to do is you want to go, oh, there I go again, projecting my negative father complex onto a boss, let's say, uh, and stop doing that. Right. Yeah, but like, but that, that's a process of kind of repeating the the in, in, or engaging with the complex, you know, over a long period of time. Right. So uh, first step is just becoming aware of that's what's going on under yep. the surface. Mm-hmm. Next step is noticing when it's happening in real time. Yeah. Uh, so so catching it and then maybe the intention is to, OK, Knowing that, let me see who this person is really. <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, let, well, me, let, actually, let me give them a chance to be something other than the tyrannical father. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, actually, it's very interesting that you would pick Saturn because let's just look at the myth for a second. Oh, wait a minute. Do you think maybe that's saying something about me personally? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> could, it have, could it have been an issue in my life? I wonder. <laughs> Well, let's look at the myth of Saturn, which is really, really interesting because early in Greek mythology, Saturn devoured his children because he didn't, because he, there was a prophecy that he was going to be overtaken. And so there's this, like, if you look at that early myth, we've got that devouring of the devouring of the child, the child energy. But then after he was deposed by Zeus or Jupiter, depending on, you know, whether it's Roman or Greek, he became a farmer. And so, so there is that when that gets kind of transformed, then you could, then the issue is, or the, the potential is patience, determination, being a leader, maybe a gentle leader, not an authoritarian leader, but somebody who has has authority, not is an authority, mm. right? Because the etymology of authority is authorship. Yeah, which isn't bad. We want to mm. be the authors of our, well, maybe exactly. not the, the sole author, but at least be a, a co-writer with the soul. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, the, with the fates. Yeah. Um, there's also something about, I didn't know that that's how that Saturn myth ended up, actually. Mm. I'm I'm just really familiar with the Goya image of Saturn eating mm. its children, mm. right? Like this horrific image. And I think that's just imprinted itself on me. But um, <laughs> also like the farmer, what that brings up for me is like the generative masculine. Yes. The, the masculine who can work in collaboration with the feminine, with the earth. Beautiful. Yes, exactly. Intend and tends and has patience and, you know, all, all of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful image. So if we can um, disentangle ourselves from that kind of complex, it will have a transformative effect. And mm-hmm. so something which was a detriment could actually turn into a benefit. And yeah. This is maybe going back to what we were talking about with uh, the wounded healer. So the struggle that you had to go through earlier could be the source of the medicine that you bring forth in your life later on. Yeah. And would you say that that is the integration? Mm -hmm. I would say that that's the integration. Yeah. We throw around the word integration all Mm. the time, but I'm always interested, like what it actually means for people. Like, you know, what do you actually mean by that? Because it's a real, 
it's an easy term to kind of just toss around. Yeah, of course, totally. Of course, we're supposed to integrate everything and we're supposed to be integrated people. But like, okay, let's get specific though. What does that yeah, look like? No, what does that feel good. like? Yeah, no, it's actually really good. As Jungians, we have not been so good at defining what integration means in a kind of a very practical way. But who has is Daniel Siegel in his book, Mindsight, and then later, the other one I've read is Mind. And he talks about integration and what it means. And his definition is that it is about creating linkages, which is, in fact, makes a lot of sense. So when we're integrating, let's say, a a negative father complex, is we're linking the our experience with our personal fathers to how we behave today and what the impact is today in terms of what that experience meant today and then and then as we continue to work with it we can then say oh, I have a negative father complex. This is what the impact is, but I've transformed it in such a way that now I've it, it now is showing up in this way. Mm. Like maybe um, what that actually has uh, done for me is it's made me more resilient. Yes. Uh, it's made me stronger. And so then you're linking the original trauma to something which is actually um, like a positive potential. Exactly. And yeah, that feels to me like it, the whole thing then is integrated. First, the awareness, what's happening for me in the here and now is related to something in the past. Mm-hmm. And then as I grow from that, from that awareness, now it's like linking forward into time into a positive potential, which, uh, yeah, wow, that feels like really clear then what integration looks mm. and feels like. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, if... um yeah, the other the other person I'm thinking about is, um, you know, somebody who, you know, suffered the trauma of one of their children committing suicide um, and, you know, took a while, you know, as you can imagine, you know, just to work through the grief and then slowly um, became very active in um in parents in a group called, you know, parents who have had a child commit suicide and being very helpful in in that and doing that in a very conscious way. It's like I've had this experience. This is what I've learned. <clears throat> I'm going to help others. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So. Going back to this path of individuation, mm-hmm. which you described as the the journey of becoming whole, becoming integrated, becoming who mm-hmm. we are, who we are meant to be. Um, how can astrology guide us along that path? How can it mm-hmm. give us some direction? Because that I talked earlier about the question that comes to Debbie in her ast- astrological consultations mm. the most. And it's like a lot of the people that come to me is like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing in right. this life. Like I might love this thing, uh, but I'm not sure if I could make a living on it. Nah, da, 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 da. Um, and so I think people are really looking for guidance. Like who am I meant to be? What am I meant to be doing? Mm. So can astrology help us to, to figure that out? 
Yeah, they can certainly, astrology can certainly provide a container for uh, the exploration, let's say in terms of, of, of what needs to happen, like in terms of a profession. We look at the 10th house, for instance, in the midheaven, which gives a certain um, equality to uh, to how the midheaven, which is the apex of the chart, which tends to reflect vocation, career, that kind of thing. Um, and so it can give it can give a framework. But as I said, what it does is it does give a broad stroke. And then at that point, it does need to be a dialogue between the chart per se and the and the person's soul basically because it, it's just because the unique expression of that particular midheaven let's say um is unique to the person i mean that is their unique their unique soul work um in terms of the individuation process like my readings always like I divide my readings half just to look at the natal chart, but I think it's actually really important to look at what's going on right now um, and, and look at those kind of particular themes that are showing up in somebody's life and how that may further their individuation process. So if, let's say, there's a particularly thorny uh, transit to the astrological sun, we'd be looking at things about identity and getting and and getting to know a little bit more about the archetype of of whatever the sun sign is, right? If if there is a particularly thorny transit to the moon, let's say, we would be looking at the body. There may be a disease happening or a health issue or something related to the feminine or the could be the mother or 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 something like that. And how it shows up is that's where the mystery of our the individual soul and the chart starts to find this alchemical dance. Liz Green talks about the fact that we've got three or four different ways in which a, um, a transit can show up. A body, you know, can show up as a symptom. You know, you have a headache or you've got or you have a disease or whatever. Mm, or a um, stif stiff neck that won't go away. Or a stiff neck that won't go away. Um, an event, so an event comes to comes to you and forces you to deal with that event. Could be it kind of feels a little random, but if you believe that the soul is magnetic and that it brings to it what it needs to further its journey, then everything is a mirror of what needs to learn. Or just a psychological insight. So it could be a dream or, you know, you're just working at something and you kind of go, oh, I had not got there's that integration, that linkage. You get it. You're working in your journal. And you just kind of go, oh, wow, I had, you know, um, I had this insight about my mother, let's say. Um, um, and then that it, that could show up in that in that way. 
Mm-hmm. So it can show up in many different ways and it's whatever. And that's a level of where, and there's no right and wrong here. It's just, it's, it's just how it shows up. Um, mm-hmm. mm. I love that perspective um, that the, that the chart is a container for an inquiry into what's going on in my life on an archetypal level. Mm. And then, through the dialogue with the consultant, probably best way to do it, finding out what how that's showing up for me personally in my mm-hmm. life. And so we've got the broader context for all of the events of our life. We put them into an archetypal context, which helps us to um, maybe disidentify them enough to, yep. to look at them more objectively yep. um, to and then to find meaning in even the most challenging aspects of our life. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And it's like, when we talk about it that way, uh, it doesn't feel so technical to me. I was trying to um, understand like the function of the Zodiac versus the planets versus the houses. And so I was asking Debbie, I'm like, okay, there's like these three elements to a chart. The planets are moving, the Zodiac's moving, there's the houses. What one do we look at first? Is it the interrelational? I was getting like really caught up in the technical, trying to understand how it works <laughs> technically. And I realized after it just exhausted me that I said, okay, look, if you've got a calling to be an astrologer, there's a lot for you to understand there. And that's your job. And if I have an interest in astrology, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to someone like that. Who's done all of that work to understand <laughs> those elements, how they work together, relating to my life and all that. Yeah, And it gets it gets pretty complex once you start digging in past just what's your sun sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it gets it gets pretty complex, and it took it you know it took me a while to to start to look at the interrelationships because, as you said, you know you start off looking at the planets and what their role is, and you know, the quality of how the planets get expressed in the sign and where it in your life, the planet is being expressed, the house, right? And that's very kind of building block kind of thing. But as your wife already knows, it's like, it's like where what's interesting is how all of the pieces fit together into almost like a hologram. I mean, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it, that's where, where it becomes really, really interesting. And, um, uh, well, it's interesting you say that because after, you know, questioning her about this and then I went, um, Chris Brennan recommended, uh, a certain book for absolute beginners. So I, I looked yes. up that book and I was like, okay, maybe there's some clear answers in here to help me. Cause like, I'm going to be speaking to Christina. I want to be somewhat well-informed. I want to have some vocabulary. <laughs> and I looked at the book and it was like, ah, it was the same thing. But then as I went to sleep, I started to get this uh, this visual and um, what it was like was very three dimensional. So like a three dimensional cosmos with these three different layers on one level, uh, maybe it's the furthest out is the Zodiac sign. So mm-hmm. the constellations in the sky, which act as a backdrop for the movement of the planets. And then on a level closer, there's the earth, the sun and the moon me there so there's all of these different levels on a vast cosmic mm. scale 
And I got the sense that, uh, you know, someone like Debbie, who's got a lot of the technical knowledge and everything, when she's visualizing the chart, she's seeing it in this three-dimensional way and seeing like where these uh, relationships, these linkages are happening and everything. And it mm -hmm. kind of like, it blew my mind, this vision. I was like, okay, that's why I consult on astrology <laughs> and why, <laughs> why I don't try to take up this on my own. I got enough I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Wise man. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I think that's a really, really great, great image. Yeah, and of course, each each of those planets are moving at different speeds, so then they come in different kinds of relationships at at different times. So, uh, and different qualities. So that's you know that is uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts. There is a lot of moving parts. And, you know, astrologers can get hooked into, uh, you know, this shorthand much in the same way that Jungians get hooked into a shorthand. And I had a, I had a wonderful supervisor early on in my when I came back to Toronto who really encouraged me to get out of the language, the jargon, and just try to speak what, what it is. And so that has taken a little bit of time. So I, I always, especially when I'm giving readings, like if somebody doesn't know, you can't just say, you know, yada, 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 like your moon is in whatever, and it's whatever. It's like they just... You know, yeah. They, they kind of, you know, their gla eyes glaze over and stuff like that. But to really bring it home, I think that's also been a very important um, part of my journey, like in terms of what 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 has been increasingly a need to bring practicality and what it looks like right here and right now, both with Jungian, astro Jungian psychology and astrology and to really, what does it mean and what does it look like in somebody's life so that they can actually go, Oh yes. Okay. I do get that. Yeah. Well, that feels to me like maybe that's, um, maybe that's an integration in itself, mm -hmm. right? Because we're taking it from this like cosmic level, the level of the archetypes, things could get really abstract, uh, but linking that down to the individual and how mm -hmm. it's, how it's uh, influencing or reflecting their life in some way. So that seems to me like, you know, anyone with a certain kind of mind could probably learn all of the technical stuff. Yeah. But it seems, and maybe that's the science part of astrology is understanding all of those, the different movements and all of that stuff you talked about, but maybe it's more of an art form as to how to bring it down to earth and, and, uh, and uh, make it relevant to an individual who doesn't have all that technical knowledge. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because ultimately, I think somebody comes to an astrologer for two things. One is to to at a particular time when when life seems to be taking on having a mind of its own and trying to bring that into perspective, like what is happening and how do I what do I need to learn? And and the second thing is a, just an affirmation of of 
of of who they know themselves to be. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when I do a reading, I'm not, I don't think that I am for the most part, not giving them any information that they don't already know, but to have the affirmation mm-hmm. and the validation of who they are in relationship to the chart is, is sometimes very comforting. And then when there's a particular crisis and you kind of, and I go, and then I can see it almost immediately, then to try to frame that in a way that they can actually use it and understand how to make sense of it and how to further their own self-development related to what's actually happening. Yeah, that that kind of meaning, I think of it almost like a salve to the wound, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, we're still wounded, we still went through it, but if we can put it in a context uh, that is meaningful to us, it's, it, it, um, it eases the suffering, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is ultimately what human psychology is really about, right? Is is and why mythology and fairy tales are so important because they both myth, myths and fairy tales map out the journey for us in in a particular configuration of something that needs to be resolved or transformed or whatever. And I think that's what what is very important about astrology too because it gives us a time frame especially if there's a transit to a personal planet so the sun moon maybe mercury venus maybe the ascendant and it 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 gives us a time frame and an image an archetypal image of what is actually being worked on what what's the alchemical operation that is being applied to that particular area of our life Mm. Right. So that 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 by using the the personal planet that is being touched uh, and and starting to develop some language around that and to say this is the area of your life that is being affected by this particular outer planet. You know, how are you experiencing that? What's actually showing up for you? You know, what what can you say about what I've already what I've just said that is having some resonance. And so then let's drop into that and see how you can work with it. Mm. Yeah. So we can start to understand um, the archetypal qualities of the different planets, which are always related to different myths and stories. Mm -hmm. It can help us understand maybe our personal myth or the story of our life. Yeah. And, yeah, that's something that I've been actually working mm. with more in, uh, especially the shamanic journey work that I do, because mm. everyone comes back from the journey with the story. And I've been thinking about this as uh, if we're able to tell that story, and especially to have it witnessed, we're somehow discovering our personal myth. And the thing I've been coming around to is how how important I think that is, is to have a sense of you know, that we're living our own personal mythology, that we're living a story. And that gives us uh, a context, uh, gives us a sense of meaning. And like, it's all, it's all for something, Mm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is all for something and it's about our growth and, 
um, our experience of ourselves, um, to engage in the imaginal, to engage in the soul work as something that's worthy in and of itself, Mm. right? I mean, just engaging at that level of our lives is meaningful for itself. We don't need to do that. We don't need to, you know, have a purpose or deliver that all the time. It just makes our life richer and, and more vibrant and we more feel more alive, which is ultimately, I think what we all want. Right. Yeah. And, and connected to something larger. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you're talking about um, the, you know, how astrology and astrology reading can help affirm things that we might know on some deep level, but we're not so willing to accept or to acknowledge. Um, I was thinking that that's, I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the work I do is just reflecting back to people, what I see in them and what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing and what they're saying, but they're not really fully accepting or embracing. Right. And I see how healing that is for people. And I'm wondering like, do you think it has a lot to do with the particular kind of culture we're in where, you know, we never really hear about the soul or a soul's journey. We've lost touch with the great myths um, that guided our civilizations for so mm. many years. And, you know, a lot of what comes up for people now is the sense of like aimlessness, meaninglessness, mm. uh, where am I going? What's this all for? Those big questions are especially relevant now and present oh, now. Totally. So, um, yeah, I mean, do you think this is like, I don't know, is it more relevant now than ever because of the lack of soulfulness in our culture? Well, I, I think we're at the, t- yeah, great question, you know, cause I have been thinking a lot about that as well. And there is, I think that we are at a, um, a tail end of of something and what what is being called the age of aquarius or this rise of new consciousness which has been happening for a while where we we're hearing more and more people talk about uh you know, um, non-duality and the link between uh, science and religion, where where spirituality is, science is now embracing some kind of mystery. And, and people are aware that we have a tremendous more power in terms of creating our worlds than we've, than we actually really realized. And So, you know, when Jung and Freud kind of really started to embrace this or started to work with the unconscious, they were responding to um, these kind of unseen forces that that were affecting people's lives. You know, Freud went one way, Jung went another way. But as psychology became more scientific, let's say. Mm-hmm. It lost its connection to its its origin, which is a study of the soul. 
And there's this this quote that I am that I have included in probably in a blog somewhere, but also am working on when I'm working on my second book, which I'm doing right, which I call Soul Making, hmm. and it's part memoir and part. Uh, you know, really understanding how or exploring how the soul is actually manifested through my life is you have to, the quote is you have to pity poor psychology. First, it lost its soul. Then it's lost its consciousness. Now it's having trouble with its behavior, which is this, you know, where, where psychology became increasingly devoid of of the mystery. And so when you're thinking about cognitive behavioral therapy, yes, that has a certain, that does relate to certain results, like for sure, for sure. However, it, it is not the whole thing. And when, when traditional psychology starts to just say, Oh, we can, apply we can give somebody medication or we can do cognitive behavioral that just really cuts psyche literally off at the head yeah and i i think that that people are i think certainly the pandemic is is getting people very much aware of what's important to them and what's, you know, and, and how they've been living their life. Many people have been feeling that they've been living their life kind of out of sync with their natures. Mm. And it, so you could look at the whole pandemic as, as an incredible self-corrective experience for the whole human species. Yeah. Like a midlife crisis for Western civilization. Totally. (laughs) So I, I do but it, it, you know, but then people still have to do the hard work, right? People have to go inward rather than look at outside of themselves for a solution. And that I think that's still where maybe where we're at, where people are still knowing that they need something, know that they need to have a deeper meaning and richness in their life, but still looking for those answers outside rather than actually going inside because all of everything we need to know is inside. That's what my client said to me after I talked to her this morning. She's like, you just, you're helping me see that it all is within me. If, and I think, you know, the big challenge for people because we could hear that all day. There's a million memes out there saying like, look inside yourself, all the answers are within and all this stuff. Right. <laughs> but what I found is that um, it's really hard for people to accept maybe for a couple reasons. One of them is definitely the kind of cultural conditioning of mm-hmm. always looking to external authorities, the, um, the force of capitalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, for capitalism to function and to flourish, we have to think that uh, we're missing something, that we don't have all the answers, that we need to get something from outside, whether it's uh, something material or uh, a new set of ideas or some answers. Um, so in order for that to function, we have to be kept left wanting. We can't be, yeah. Fully, yeah. Can't be fully empowered individuals. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe another part of it is, the, and this is the one, the more difficult pill to swallow for people, is that if you accept that everything is within you, well, whose responsibility is it to care for that and to bring it forth? 
So it brings in personal responsibility for finding the answers yourself and finding your direction yourself and all of that. Right. And I think that's, you know, if we can get through the cultural conditioning, when I talk about the, the capitalist model, people go, Oh yeah, you know what? Screw that. Like, I don't want to empower capitalism. I want to empower myself. And then we get to the level of, okay, well, whose responsibility is it? Ooh, that's when it gets a little squirmy. Yeah, totally get totally get squirmy because then they have to do something. Yeah. And also <laughs> and it, it feels like a burden at first, right? Like it's like, yeah, it does. God, it's all on me. Mm. So you have to kind of develop it slowly. I think you have to mm. develop that um, inner trust and inner strength, all of that, like little by little, you know, with like low risk decisions and things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. I th- you think you're absolutely right. It that is uh I I think it was Robert Bly who wrote about the adolescent society. Uh sibling society. I yeah, recommend sibling that book society. to people. I recommend it to people all the time. Yeah. But nobody reads it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is but it is basically well, it sounds it, like your dog's up. <laughs> yeah, well, she's chasing a cat, but they've got upstairs, so that's all good. You can take that piece out. <laughs> no way, I'll leave it in. <laughs> uh, the, um, yeah, because you, you know, I and I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, we haven't gro- we don't we don't grow up. You know, we can't. We haven't grown up as as. For many, and you know, I, I'll say that I didn't start taking responsibility for my life probably until, you know, well past my first Saturn return. Yeah, me too. And and the culture does not support that. And then we go into the lack of initiation, and you know, um, more indigenous communities and societies that actually recognize that they're that. As, as the part of the human journey, we have to go through these stages and, and be initiated into the next stage of our life. It, yeah, so, and, and those things really, and this isn't talked about enough in the New Age community, mm-hmm. those initiations are into new levels of responsibility. Yes. So you become less and less self-centered as you go through them. Yes. Like first the... Speaking from a male perspective, the initiation into manhood. Okay, now you got a responsibility in the tribe. Then the initiation into marriage. Okay, now you got responsibility for a family. Yeah. Right? So it keeps broadening out yeah. your, as you gain uh, wisdom and experience, your level of responsibility increases until you're an elder and then you're a steward of the whole tribe and the culture. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Right. Yeah. But again, that piece of responsibility. It's one we're often like, mm. well, and it's so interesting. The number of young people who come into my practice at 27, 28, 29 for Saturn return, depressed. Yeah. Because because Saturn's here, you know, they're saying Saturn is demanding taking responsibility and moving into that that that's second you know that second phase of life where you actually have to take up the mantle of your life i often say and you know depression as a way of withdrawing energy from the world they just they go i you know they nobody has taught them how, what they need to do 
And, you know, it's actually really, really sad because, uh, because it's, there's a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. But the, the other thing about the eldership is, um, you know, being mindful of where I am in the life journey. And I off, I, I just started to really feel moving into that wisdom area of my life of, of being, of being, of having wisdom that I can offer to people. And that's just cause I'm in my mid sixties. Even when I say that it's, I find that really hard to believe. <laughs> I really do, mm-hmm. but there is this kind of like, wow, I've had, I've had a lot of life experience. I've had a lot, a lot of various things and I can offer what I've learned uh, to in in whatever and and that that's been that that's really you know to really embrace the various stages of one's life i had a very different experience when i was in my 50s um and then in my 40s so each decade had had a particular quality to it had a particular um um yeah particularly quality to it they went, mm. okay, uh, yeah, I know, I kind of know what I'm supposed to be doing, kind of, in a way. <laughs> yeah, because you were tuned in and you're listening and you're curious, right? Mm. Mm. So it wasn't just griping about, uh, oh, you know, my hair's going gray, my hips are hurting, my <laughs> knees are hurting, like, oh, I don't have the energy I used to. Um, and I think this is like, you know, a, another part of our aspect of our culture that when, even when we talk about something like initiation, what I often hear is like, it's more about like what in, what I'm going to get from it. Yeah. You know, rather than it asking something of me and mm. some life asking something more of me as mm. I initiate into these other levels. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty scary, actually. That, I mean, to, to actually, because it's going back to what we talked about earlier, because it's about risk taking and it's about putting something vulnerable and new and fragile out into the world, possibly that's going to get stomped on. Um but I think that's where our growing edges are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When I spoke to um, James Hollis, who we were talking about before we started mm-hmm. recording, he's a revered elder, I think mm-hmm. probably for both of us, right? Yes. Uh, he's in his late 80s now, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, and he, when I interviewed him, he talked about this mantra that he repeats to himself every day as he mm-hmm. goes, uh, you know, leaves his condo, goes down the elevator to get his car. He said, I repeat this every day. And it's six words, <laughs> shut up, suit up and show up. <laughs> the way he talked about it was, uh, you know, shut up, like just stop your complaining, stop mm-hmm. griping about, mm-hmm. you know, what life is asking of you mm-hmm. suit up. So get prepared. You know, mm. be prepared for what life is asking of you and then show up and actually do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it takes someone of that age and experience and wisdom who can like kind of put it so bluntly. Mm. <laughs> That's one of the things that I've noticed. I don't know how my clients feel about it, but I, I've i just, I, I'm finding myself not mincing words. 
I think you earn it at a certain point, right? Yeah, you really do. Or you just get so fed up with all the nonsense, like all of the weaseling out of responsibilities and stuff that you're just like, you know, I ain't got time for this. Like, here it is straight, kid. Yeah, totally. I actually don't. I Yeah, I've been I felt that I have felt that for a while, but it's just I guess, you know, the, you know, time is such a precious you know, resource. And, um, and as a, a good friend of mine says, you know, we, we get, she says, I always, she's always mindful of what she's spending her life energy on. Is it yeah. worthy of her time and energy? Does it, does it, you know, does it enrich, does it enhance, or does it drain and, um, you know, is unproductive in terms of not in terms of, of soul work, richness, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Easy enough to ignore that when you're young and yeah. full of boundless energy. Mm. Um, but yeah, as I get older too, it comes up all the time. And it's a question I'm asking myself and then asking of other people, like, this is how you want to spend your energy. Like your energy is precious, yeah, totally. you know, and you might not realize it now, mm. but you will later when it mm. feels like a limited resource actually. Um, but then at the same time, when we start taking risks and we start answering the call of the soul, there's this reciprocity, there's this energy exchange that starts to happen, right? And so when you're aging and you're following the call of your soul and you're, you're getting some energy back, and I think that's what keeps uh, some of these elders really youthful. And, and what's yeah. keeping you youthful is you're kind of dipping into the water of life every mm. day and like yeah. replenishing and nourishing, but you have to take a risk to do that. Right? You have to take a risk to do that. Yeah, you really, yeah, you really do. And um, yeah, it's, it's, that's just, it's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. I, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Carl Rogers. Mm -hmm. He put it so simply, it was something he would ask clients um, all the time. I think you'd say, hmm, life's risky, huh? You know, when they were talking about some difficult decision they had to make yeah. and they're being challenged, but yeah, life's risky, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm conscious of uh, our time mm. and uh, I want to thank you so much. I feel like I could just talk to you all day. I know. Uh, this is such a rich and deep intersection of mm. uh, the Jungian psychology, which is vast and deep itself. Mm. And then astrology. And uh, I think, um, I think I'll feel a little more clear on how, how they can relate to each other and complement one another. Uh, and of course, I'm left with even more questions, which I think is always a good sign. <laughs> well, I just really enjoyed our conversation, Brian. I just, it was, it went by like so fast. It was so amazing. So yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, I think when we're, we're in the flow, um, you know, conventional time loses all meaning. And so I'm always, I got to keep my eye on it because these could easily be like three hour conversations <laughs> until we're like puddles on the floor. Yeah. So yeah, totally. thanks again. And maybe uh, we could do this again sometime when some, love to. some more yeah. questions pop up for me. Yeah. Thank you.
So for now, um, I'm sure you've piqued some people's interest. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, yeah, um, people can check out my website, which is www.cjbecker.com. Uh, C-J-B-E-C-K-E-R.com. Uh, we've got a couple of, I've got a couple of programs coming up that people might be interested in, like, which will start, you know, early May, 2021, May 21 or June, 2021. Um, I've got a uh, eight week uh, online program called uh, Befriend Your Shadow and Find Your Soul, which uh, mm. is a, um, will be, there'll be two versions a facilitated and a self-paced, but the facilitated will be weekly um explorations into the shadow and how can we integrate the shadow a lot of the stuff that i've talked about here it will show up in that course we um i'm a friend of mine and i've done a uh just finished a eight-week facilitated dream work and artwork called on the handless maiden fairy tale but we're mm. going to offer that as a self-paced in May. So if people just uh, go to my website and all of the information will be there. So great. Oh, those mm. sound like good courses too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I haven't done the befriend the shadow in a couple of years. So lots has, has changed in terms of my thinking about things and reading and just my own journey. So I, I think it's going to be, it'll be a combination of kind of live dream work focused on how do we identify the shadow in dreams and then some group process and breakout groups and things like that all on zoom. So available to anybody in the world. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again. I think we got to get our dogs out for a walk. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, until next time, Christy. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash medicine path or by purchasing one of my yoga video courses or books. You could find links to everything at brianjames.ca forward slash resources. Thanks so much for your support. Without listeners like you, independent creators like me couldn't do what we do. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine upon your face until the next time we meet on the Medicine Path. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.